God is good all the time, and the devil's a liar, and so's his mother-in-law. Can you say amen to that? I want to thank everybody for coming out this morning, and it's so good to be here. I come here uh, upon invitation from your pastor, my son, uh, probably a couple of times a year, and uh, since you've last seen me, I've lost 22 pounds. My son's got me... <laughs> Frankie's got me on a, a, this diet plan that's working for me, and I had to wear jeans and a, a short sleeve shirt. <laughs> My suits don't fit me. Isn't that great? <laughs> this used to be, this jacket used to be here, and I used to put a tie in the middle to make it look like it closed. <laughs> but it didn't close. <laughs> so uh, I feel good about that. And uh, Frankie right now, my son is preaching, as you know, preaching at our church in Humble at New Covenant Church, and I'm just glad to be here. Um, just wanted to see how things are going, and looks like everything is going so very well. I stole Jonathan from you, my son. He's uh, our, our media director over there, and um, he's where he needs to be in his life, and uh, I'm just very happy that my family has been helping and serving you all these years. Uh, with my beautiful daughter-in-law who just recently lost her dad, uh, Allie, and she's done a lot of sacrificing since she's been here. Uh, she's given up her Canadian ship or basically not living in Canada. And you have to admit that uh, Vancouver is a lot prettier city than, than the city of Houston, Texas. Um, though I, I love the city of Houston, um, it's hard to beat all those beautiful mountains and streams and uh, trees and weather like that. Uh, we're here, it's like, I remember the first day I came out of, the, out of a car in Houston, because I'm a Yankee, and I came out of a car and I said, uh, man, it feels like a blow dryer here. <laughs> <laughs> Just constant blow dryer in my face. <laughs> I've gotten used to it being that I've been pastoring this ch church in Humble now, going on 18 years. Well, let's grab our Bibles, if you would, and hold it up over our heads and repeat after me. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. And I can do what it says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. And I will never be the same. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. I'll never be the same. Never, never, never. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. Thank you so much as we open up our Bibles to the book of John. <clears throat> John chapter number 18 and verses 1 through 6. We're going to be reading about Judas and how he betrayed Jesus. And I have some unique gold precious nuggets of the scriptures to share with you that maybe you did not notice before. So reading in verse number 1 through verse number 6, chapter 18, the book of John, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron, where there was a garden, can we all say garden, in which he entered with his disciples. Now Judas also who was betraying him, knew the place. For Jesus had often met there with his disciples. It was kind of like his prayer meeting, his prayer garden. Judas then, in verse number three, having received the Roman cohort and the 
and the officers and the chief priests and the Pharisees, they came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. They're going to arrest Jesus. So Jesus, knowing all things that were coming upon him, went forth and he, he said to them, Who do you seek? In verse 5, they said to him, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said to them, I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. So when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. I want to try to explain why they fell to the ground. I'm going to give you a couple of options. But I also want to talk to you about, number one, the definition of Judas. So the name of my sermon today is called Judas versus the Garden. Judas versus the Garden. Defining Judas is important because he was one of the 12 apostles. The question is, because he, he betrayed Jesus, did Jesus know this from the beginning when he picked him? Was Judas always a bad guy? Because most movies depict Judas as a guy that fights his conscience throughout the entire relationship of the three and a half years that he's with Jesus. Some believe that he tried to force Jesus to rise up as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to fight against the Roman armies. Where None of this is true. In reality, if we take a look at the scriptures, they rejoiced when they were presented a, a plan to overthrow Jesus Christ. This is what the Pharisees were rejoicing, as we'll see in the scriptures. I believe that Judas was always a bad guy, but this is not really the the actual focus of my, my preaching. The actual focus of my preaching is going to be when Judas, Satan, and all of the temple soldiers and the Pharisees and also the high priests and other priests when they confront Jesus Christ in a particular place, in a holy place, in a place called a garden. And I believe that all of us, we all have a prayer place. And I'm going to try to show you that a Christian is not any stronger than when he or she or they are in prayer. And that I know that many of us, we, we fall short, if you would, on how much we pray and how often we pray. It is said that a typical Christian prays six minutes a week. I, I know that that sounds ridiculous, but think about it for a little bit. Have you ever met anybody that ever said, I pray more than enough, thank you very much? I pray a lot. I pray very, very often. Most people say what I say. I wish my prayer life was more than it is. I wish I prayed more often than I do. And I use excuses of being too busy. We all say that. The apostles suffered with that while Jesus was actually on the earth. So that's the direction I'm going to be going. But first I need to establish the definition of Judas because I don't believe Judas was ever good even when Judas was chosen by Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, when you go to heaven in the book of Revelation, you will see heaven. It's called the city of New Jerusalem. And it's 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles deep, and 1,500 miles tall. It's, it's just massive. As a matter of fact, it goes right into space itself. Had not God, in the end, is going to give us a new heaven and a new earth. And the reason why there's going to be a new heaven is because of all the, the debris that's in, that's in, in space, but also the, the stratosphere is going to be all different. And 1,500 miles tall is, is, is quite tall. 
And so when I present this to you, I want you to know that every gate, all 12 gates around the new city of Jerusalem is named after one of the children of Israel, the tribes of Israel, like Manasseh or Reuben or Judah and Levi. But also the levels or the foundations or the stories, like going to the fourth floor in the elevator, this is how it is in heaven. There's 12 floors, there's 12 stories, 12 foundations. And they're named after the 12 apostles. Would you think that when you go there into the elevator, and I say elevator only humorously, when you press a button and go to the fifth floor per se, do you think that you're going to get to the apostle Judas? I think not. I don't think that he has a floor anymore. I think he's been wiped out. Some believe that the floor will be renamed the name Matthias, where the apostles chose among them the name Matthias, and he came forth, and he completed the number 12 of the 12 apostles. I don't think so. My particular um, belief is, is that Paul the apostle was chosen by Jesus Christ. He appeared to him on the road to Damascus and, and, and chose him himself. Jesus chose the original 12, and Jesus chose the 12th after Judas walked away. I believe that when you hit floor 7 or floor 12, it's going to be the Apostle Paul. He wrote 14 books of 28 books of the New Testament. And so you'll see how clearly these apostles, they're very, very important, not just for the Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament prophesied, New Testament completed, but also into all of eternity. Because you will always see these foundations or these floors named after the apostles. And I say all this to say this, that Judas was, yes, he was picked but he was picked when he was a sinner, when he was bad, and he never got good. I believe all the apostles were bad initially, and they got good being around Jesus Christ for three and a half years. I think that many of us, we come to church our whole lives, and you'll notice that some never convert. They may attend church. They may even participate, but they never really come around to Jesus Christ. Can anybody say amen at all? There's a few of you, yes. How about everybody? Amen. Praise. You've met people in church where, allow me to preach to you. Let me, let me just pass to you just a little bit. Is that okay with you? Where you've met some people that may have confused you of why after all these years have they dropped out of the church. The Bible talks about a mystery. A, I didn't mention this during the uh, earliest service, but the mystery of iniquity. The mystery of iniquity is even among us. The Bible said that clearly. And what is the mystery of iniquity? I, I share this one example uh, to my church that I pastor where you'll see somebody live for God for seemingly for 10, 15 years and then all of a sudden just turn around and walk out the door and never come back. And they never pray ever again. And they, Sometimes they don't even believe in God any longer. It's a mystery, isn't it? It's kind of like the mystery of iniquity. I think that that is a good definition for Judas Iscariot. How can you hang around with the Son of God for three and a half years and still not change. Maybe he was stirred, but he did not change. I don't think he ever got converted. As some examples to you really quickly, in Luke chapter 6, verse 16, the scriptures identify him as the following. Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. Let's all say traitor. So he was, he was coined a traitor. Here's another one. In John chapter 6, verses 67 through 71, the scripture said this, Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? 
you have the words of eternal life. Also, when uh, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In verse 70, this is really important here. This is another coined word. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12, and one of you is a devil? In last verse, verse 71, he spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the 12. This is before he actually betrayed him. He knew that he was going to do this. So number one, he was called a traitor. Number two, he was called a devil. Number three, uh, Matthew 26 and 24, it says this, the Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man of whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be better, or, I'm sorry, King James would say it would be better, but it says here, it would have been good for that man if he had not been born at all. And Judas Iscariot did betray Jesus Christ. And what Jesus Christ is saying is, it's better for Judas that he was never even born. Another example of a coined word concerning Judas is John chapter 12, verse number 6. And it says this, This is he that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief, let's all say thief, he had the money box or the money bag, maybe depending on your version. Look at this one line here. And he used to take what was put in it. He'd steal money right out of Jesus' account. I mean, my children sneak my debit card out of my wallet, and I, I kind of grin about that. But when you're ripping off Jesus, the Son of God, first of all, do you really think you got away with it? That's first of all. Second of all, why does Jesus give him the money bag? He's a thief. So summarizing, he's a traitor. Jesus called him a devil. Number three, he should never have been born. And lastly, he, uh, he was a thief. And this was a bad guy. And this guy hung around with all, all the other 11 of the apostles. This is the guy that saw Jesus do amazing things. Unstop deaf ears. Uh, open the blinded eye. Cause the lame to walk. Uh, cause the dead to rise again even after four days of rigor mortis. This is an amazing opportunity. How many of you would love to hang out with Jesus Christ for three and a half years? That would just be so awesome. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that had they written everything that Jesus did on the earth and everything that he said on the earth for those three and a half years, no, all, if you took all the books in the world, you could never fit everything that he said and everything that he did and put them inside the books. You'd have to produce a lot more books to fill all the actions and the deeds and the words that he said. And Judas was around all of that. Not only that, let me enlighten you to something else about Judas. Judas was possessed by Satan himself, not just once, but on two different events. As an example, in Luke 22, verses 3 through 7, here's a good example. Then Satan entered Judas. What is the scenario here? What's the context? Surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. Verse 4. So he, he went his way, and conferred with the, high, the, the, the chief priest, he is initiating this, and the captains, how he might betray him to them. Watch this. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. They were, they were happy. This is a great plan. Let's do this. Why didn't we think of this? So he promised. He actually went into covenant with him. He promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. 
And last verse, verse number seven, then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And so in all of this, I'm showing you that when Judas walked up to the priests, he was already possessed by Satan himself. Now here's one that you really know about. It's in John chapter 13, verse 27. It says this, now after the piece of bread, where the, Jesus was breaking the bread, at the Last Supper, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. This was an amazing moment because at this moment, Jesus Christ said to John, the person that does sop with me or the person that grabs a tortilla chip and dips it in the con queso at the same time as me, that's the person that's going to betray me. And that's a scary thing. And so in, in lieu of that, uh, Jesus grabbed the pita bread that you get at Wendy's with the half of pita bread with the lettuce and the three pieces of chicken. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm on this diet, and I told the early, early service, I'm starving to death. <laughs> I really am. I'm so hungry, I can't wait, because I, I, I eat these five fuels, and I can't wait to get to my fuel, <laughs> but I get one good meal a day, and I'm meeting with your pastor right after this, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to break every law driving <laughs> at Cracker Barrel. But he's a police officer because he, he coaches me, calls me and texts me. I don't know how he knows when I'm grabbing a handful of jelly beans or something. He just knows. <laughs> he, he's gifted. But this is the second time he said that, that, that Judas was possessed by the devil. That when he went to, to, to dip into the conqueso with the chip, Jesus went in at the same time. Have you ever had that awkward moment at a Mexican restaurant where you both grabbed the same chip? Oh, excuse me. Uh, but you had your heart set on that chip. Because yeah, I, I, I think that you really look at a whole basket of chips, and I think that within a half a second, you pick the next one. Do you ever scurry around to look for the, just the right chip for you? And when you both go for the same one, that's so awkward. Or will you both go for the same sop? Because they always give you these little teeny cups. I need a bowl. About that big. I like it in Papacitos. Can we talk about food a little bit more? <laughs> in Papacitos, the salsa is warm. I like it like that. But we have this other Mexican restaurant that they're, they're tortillas uh, for when you uh, make a little fajita. It's so big, it's like a, a, a tablecloth. <laughs> and you just put, it, it, it will not break. You can just make a missile out of that baby. <laughs> I want to talk about food again. <laughs> I love, I'm Italian. I love food. So these are the two moments where Jesus Christ clearly saw that um, you're, you're sopping with me. You're, you're eating with the same chips as I am. And so you better leave and you better leave now because first of all, you're full of the devil and everybody here knows it. So what you do, do quickly. So he runs off and Jesus goes to a garden. Everybody say Jesus goes to a garden. But Judas, he goes to the temple. He's full of the devil. He gathers the soldiers of the temple. He gathers uh, the high priest. He gathers uh, the Pharisees. And he makes his way to the garden. He knows where Jesus is at. The scriptures say he knows where he's at because he always goes there. This is an important line here. Jesus always prayed in gardens. 
Now, he wasn't limited to gardens, but that was his favorite place to go because, number one, he wasn't like a pastor that had a pastor's office to pray in. He didn't have a house. The Bible says that the Son of God had no place to lay his head. Foxes have their holes uh, or caves. Birds have their nests. But the Son of Man have no place to lay his head. And so Jesus, it wasn't like he had a little office that he can go into, shut the door and lock it, turn the corrig on, and kneel beside a couch. He had no place to go. So he found gardens like his prayer closet. So when he was there, it wasn't just an ordinary garden after the Son of God begins to pray in it. Because all of nature stands at attention when you begin to pray. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that even wildlife itself, everything, when you're calling upon the Creator, you are never stronger than you are in your prayer life. And you are never stronger than you are where you're praying. Because wherever you're praying, everything needs to flee. That's why I try to tell my church that you never have to worry about ghosts because I don't even believe in ghosts or haunted houses. But even if there were haunted houses and even if there were ghosts or demons, when you walk in, you scare them half to death. They run out. They flee because what is in you is greater than what is out in the world. I believe this with all of my heart. But when you're not praying, bad things usually happen to you. You're not strong enough, so your faith is weak. You're not living in gardens. And that's the time when you're at your most powerfulest moment. And Judas had the audacity to walk in with a number of bad guys to kiss Jesus on his cheek and to say to him, to everyone, that's him. When I kiss the guy, that's the guy that you want to arrest. And Jesus stepped forward and he says, whom do you seek? Who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And what was so amazing is this right here. This is the gist of my sermon. Jesus said, I am he. The word he in your Bible is italicized, which means it's not really there. It's put there for the reader's, well, help. But it doesn't belong there. He said, I am which is exactly what God said to Moses at the burning bush. In the Old Testament, Moses wanted to know, God, what's your name? Because he didn't have Yahweh yet, he didn't have Jehovah yet, he didn't have Adonai or Adonijah, Elohim, Eloha. He didn't have any of these Hebrew names. He only had the term, I am. What is your name? I am that I am. This is holy ground. Take off your shoes, Moses. So when he went to tell the Jewish people, I am sent me, the Jews knew what that meant. So when they said, we seek Jesus of Nazareth, he stepped forward in a prayer garden, in a prayer closet. He is at his strongest ability, and you can be too. When you are praying diligently, he said to them, I am. And the Jewish people knew exactly what that meant. That meant, I am God. I am He. And Jesus Christ was the embodiment of God in flesh. He put on, God put on a robe of flesh. Inside of this body was Jesus Christ. Jesus said, when you see me, you have seen the Father. I and my Father, we're one. 
Hebrews says that he, Jesus Christ, is the expressed image of God's person. So when he said, I am, they all fell backwards onto the ground. It was an amazing moment. Now maybe, and I'm trying to get to a close here, but maybe it's option number two why they fell over. Maybe it wasn't what he said, but where he was. They came into a garden. They came into a place where, let me just say this to you, your character will never be stronger than when you're praying. I know what you're saying. I I wish he wouldn't be preaching about praying because I'm not gonna pray any more than I'm praying right now. I'm too busy. I am believing this in these last days. The Bible says that deceit and the deception is gonna be so strong in the last days that the very elect, everybody say, that's me. That's three of you. Everybody say, that's me. me. You're the elect. You are the people of God. For those of you that believe that Jesus Christ is the only savior of the world, that there's no other way to get to heaven, you cannot give me around anything, please know this, that your character, your personality is never stronger than when you're praying. You say, why is my marriage so messed up? Maybe you're easily offended. A prayer, prayed up person, a prayed up Christian is not easily offended. Maybe you're having a lot of sickness because you're being attacked. Maybe you are seeing a Judas in your life that is really offending you. Just know this. If there is a Satan in your life, and there is, Satan goes everywhere he wants to. He went to the Last Supper. He goes into the gardens. He has literally no fear. He is an indiscriminate killer which means that he will kill a little baby as quick as he'd kill a pastor, as quick as he'd kill a Satanist, as quick as he'd kill a a Luciferian. He doesn't care who you are. He's not looking to save and to build like movies show you. No, none of that. He's not looking for an army. He just wants to kill, to rob, and to pillage every single human being. He wants to get everybody to a place where they humiliate God. And you are the priceless people of God. And if he can get you to humiliate God Almighty as a child of God, he is doing a great work in his mind. So everyone, if you've got a Satan in your life, you've got a Judas in your life. God God knows this, that there's always a Judas, there's always a snake in the garden, there's always a serpent in the tree, and there's always going to be a war in your life. And if you're not praying, you need to know this, The devil sends his best at you, his first line of attack, because he knows he has a short time. He will send not his second or third string, but his first string, because he's got a short time, and he's very angry. And you're probably wondering, why is our finances doing so poorly? Why are we always yelling at each other? Why is it that we're always being deceived? Well, just maybe, maybe that you've gotten away from a prayer life. Maybe you lost touch from the garden. Because the Bible brings out that Jesus went from garden to garden and prayed. He went from prayer place to prayer place. He went from victory to victory, from glory to glory, and that's really our lot in life. He was always having to wake up the apostles because they were sleeping when he was praying. He says, couldn't you just pray for just an hour? Because if you're not praying, he said, temptation is going to come upon you. 
So wake up and pray because it's going to get you. And it did. They woke up, they were tempted, and they betrayed, and they, they, they denied Jesus Christ. And traditional books say that all the apostles ran away when Jesus was arrested, and they hid in high, gra- high grass. I wonder, you might want to ask yourself this question. Maybe, just maybe, it's not just about going to church, and it's not just about reading my daily bread. Maybe it has a lot to do with my prayer life. Sir, I, I, I'm a man too, and let me just say this to you. Your business, your workplace will do a lot better if you are praying. For those of you that attempted with bad things that you wish that you were not doing, where you do things unsupervised, you understand what I'm saying to you? You would have less struggles if you live and pray in the garden. You might want to ask yourself, do I have, number one, do I have a regular charted prayer life? If you don't, then most likely if you don't, you will probably not pray. You feel maybe that you're praying on the run or praying as you're falling asleep. Maybe your life and your family and your business deserves more than that. Because I have noted for many of us, I have noted that when the devil brings his best, I've got to bring my best. And my best is always when I'm praying. I'm a better person when I'm praying. When I'm not praying, I'm a total jerk. I've told my staff whenever someone in the church does something terrible, like is always angry and always grumpy and always, always offended, I always tell them, that person, he doesn't have a prayer life. Because had he had a prayer life, had she had a prayer life, she wouldn't be so easily offended. Judas had the audacity to confront a Christian, Jesus Christ, in the wrong place, in the prayer room. Jesus prayed so hard that great droplets of blood came out of his face that the Bible says that while he prayed, he was vacillating about this crucifixion thing. He says, if it's possible, can you get me out of this, Father? If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But then, because he was praying, not my will, but thine will be done. And then the Bible says that God sent angels to minister to him. Why? Because he was praying. I wonder, does anybody here need any ministering angels? Does anybody need any financial help? Does anybody need a sound mind? Is there anybody here that's really struggling mentally, psychologically? Are you going from depression to depression? Is it possible maybe you just don't pray? As we all stand, could I ask our prayer partners to come? I think that that maybe you as a family, you as a person, may want to designate today. Make an outward moment here. Make a proclamation. You're right, Pastor. I'm struggling in my marriage. I'm struggling at work. I'm struggling with my car, my house, my children. I've got wayfaring children. My children are not serving the Lord. Maybe it's my prayer life. Maybe choose one of these men or women, these prayer partners, just to agree together. Today is the beginning of a brand new day. I'm going to clean the slate. It's called tabula rasa, a clean slate. I'm starting fresh. 
I'm starting new, starting today. You say, I'm going to pray, but my wife's not praying. Trust me. If you're praying, miracles will happen. There's no telling what will happen when a wife of a home begins to pray. There's no telling what will happen when a husband begins to call upon the name of the Lord. You say, well, I pray. Do you pray regularly? Do you pray fervently? The Bible says very clearly, the prayer, the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Is there anybody here that needs to avail much? I'm trying to help you here. I am imploring with you. I'm trying to pastor you right now. While my son is preaching to my church, I'm trying to preach to you. Will you come? Will you find a prayer partner as the music plays? As the singers sing, start today and you will start to see Satan, Judas is in your life, families and, and, and all kinds of terrible people that are calling on your phone to pay bills that you can't afford. They will fall over backwards because you will say, I am that I am sent me. Now don't say that to a bill collector. But I will say this to you. You can say that to the spirits that are trying to come into your home. Won't you come?